the little green light blinked, so that's a good sign. Everybody, welcome to the Red Dragon Sessions. I'm Yvette, and with me, as always, is Bob. Hello. How are you doing today, Bob? Very well, thank you. And so today, Bob, we're going to talk about my dad. Yay! I'm going to tell you about his early life as a little kid mm-hmm. growing up in Missouri and how he became such a hero of mine even before I was born. Wow. Mm-hmm. His name is James. In a lot of ways, he was a bit of a badass for his time. He was, in general, a very quiet man when I knew him. And he was just, you know, very reserved. But I don't feel like I knew I knew him fully in the moment. He had PTSD. And he also suffered from migraines. He had a lot of health issues related to his time um, in World War II. Yeah, if, for those of you who in previous episodes have done the math... I was born very late in my parents' lives. <laughs> so, yes, my dad served in the Navy uh, during World War II. He was on the USS Lutzi, which was a fantastic ship. I actually really, really loved the Lutzi. And my dad was really proud to have served on her. Today, we're going to talk about his early life and uh, some things that I knew about him. And then uh, in future episodes, we'll get more into his career in the Navy and then his dealing with PTSD and dealing with being a really good dad while having PTSD, because he actually was. I mean, in the moment when it was happening, it might have seemed awkward or weird, but my dad did his best. And that's what makes him a good dad is that he did his best. He might not have actually the execution might not have been perfect, but we always felt loved. And we always knew, we could always see that he was trying. And that's, uh, that's what made him a great dad. So my dad, uh, my dad and I, our birthdays are very close. I actually had to look up my dad, the year of my dad's birthday. Don't hate on me. But my dad was actually born March 28th, 1925. So if he had lived, he would be 93. Now? No, 2019, he'd be 94. He'd be 94 years old now. That's how old my dad would be. Nice. You've, you've got the head bob going on. I can't read you. Oh. I don't know if I just can't read you because I hear my own voice in my cans, but. Oh, it could be. Yeah. Maybe. I was actually, I was trying to do the math in my head. Oh, you were trying and to I, do I was, I was oh. think I was thinking I was agreeing with you. Oh, yeah. It's 2019. So he would be 94. When was he born again? Uh, March 28th, 1925. Oh, 1925, yeah. Yeah, 1925. So, like four, so 9-4. Yeah. My dad was born in this... Different era, really. It was really... Yeah, it was a completely different era. It was pre-Great Depression mm-hmm. when my dad was born, mm-hmm. you know? And my dad was the middle child. Um, the first child was my Aunt Marie, who by all accounts was just awesome and amazing and a really lovely person that I got to know really well after I moved to California a few years ago. His younger brother was named Robert, and that's my Uncle Bob. And Uncle Bob uh, was a very, very prolific musician. Like, my Uncle Bob could play any instrument. 
uh, well, I shouldn't say he could play any instrument. He tried to play every instrument. He would make a massive effort and usually was wildly successful. But he, he just could play the hell out of a piano and he could sing and he had a little uh, jazz trio that actually released a couple of albums What in the 60s. Yeah, the Bob Meredith trio. That's it's rad. like fantastic, right? So yeah, that was my, that's my Uncle Bob. My Uncle Bob also used to have this little quirk where he would like, he would like, grab my ponytail and like pull my ponytail if he wanted me to like come with him or like move me around. Like he would just pull me around by the ponytail <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> like Not like really hard. He wouldn't like jerk me around or like pick me up and swing me around by my ponytail or anything like that. It was just always like a firm grip of like, hey, come with me. Like instead of like grabbing a kid's hand, he would grab my ponytail. It was great. It was effective. <laughs> For sure. But what we're talking about, my dad. And my dad grew up in this little house. It actually, I mean, it, it was it was kind of little. It had four rooms, one in each corner of the house on the first floor, and then two rooms on the second floor. And I know this house really well because it eventually became my mom and dad's house. After my grandparents died, they moved into it, um, and it was their house. Uh, and it's the house that I grew up in as a little kid. Anyway, so uh, that's the house my dad grew up in. Um, the town is uh, pretty small. Claretown is, uh, I think, maybe, you know, if there are a couple of thousand people in the whole town, I would be shocked. I really would be. And at the time that my dad came along, I mean, I don't think there were 500 people in town. Everybody knew everybody. Everybody knew everything that was going on. It was a very personable town. My grandfather was a deacon at the First Baptist Church, which was just a few doors down. It was on the same block as the house. And my my great-grandfather um, actually worked in the church, Jasper, my great-grandfather, Jasper, who I have always heard was just a firecracker of a person with a name like Jasper. How could you not be just a firecracker of a person? And my dad loved his grandpa, Jasper. Like, they always hung out. They always, like, did stuff together. You know, my dad was the middle child, so didn't get really noticed a lot. My Aunt Marie was really responsible. She would, like, clean the house and take care of the boys. And, like, she was a really super, super responsible lady. Went to college. All the things. Got married and had two girls and they were amazing women in their lifetimes. They both, unfortunately, very um, painfully, they, um, they both had cancer at different part times of their lives and both um, passed away. But they were amazing women. Uh, they're women that I'll never forget their legacies because they just made such a fantastic impression on me um, as powerful, stand on their own kind of women. But that was, you know, that was Aunt Marie. She was a divorced woman in the in the 50s, which was like, ooh, like shit. You know, in the 50s, you didn't get divorced. You know, you could have been like my Aunt Marie and married to a drunk asshole douchebag. And you just sort of had to go with it, you know, but not my Aunt Marie. My Aunt Marie was like, I'll go get a job. I'll take care of my girls. Bye, Felicia. Get the fuck out. That's who my Aunt Marie was. And 
she did that. And then she met and fell in love with, with a great man who was supportive of her and loved her dearly. They loved each other. They took care of each other when they got old. Is my uncle Ed. And Ed was great. So, yeah. We used to go every year, every 4th of July, we would go to Aunt Marie and Uncle Ed's house and all the cousins would, everybody would come out of the woodwork everywhere across the country. You'd end up in Aunt Marie and Uncle Ed's house and we'd shoot off fireworks. And all of us little cousins would try to kill each other with fireworks. It was great. Um, but today we're talking about my dad and my dad wasn't an extremely great student in school. He could get the job done. Basic reading, writing, arithmetic, my dad was good with that. It got to a high school level and uh, realized that, you know, he was not going to be, you know, a rocket scientist. He was not going to be president. He, he figured there was going to be something else for him. And strangely enough, something else was happening in the world at that time. And what it was, was uh, World War II was starting to happen. And my dad really felt like this call to service. He really felt like he was a young man. He was strong. He felt like he wanted to do something to help the world. And so he, uh, he joined the Navy. You know, what, what makes a person like, you know, drop out of school, lie about their age to the Navy? There's like so many questions I would ask my dad if I could now. Like, what did it, what did it feel like to have that urge to like really want to serve on that level, on a level of I'm going to go to war? I'm going to stand between my family, my country, and the Nazis or the um, the emperor of Japan at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's crazy trains. That's like, holy shit. And the fact that he dropped completely dropped out of high school and lied about his age to, to sign up. I mean, if he had waited another year or two, if he had waited until he was 18... The war would have been so close to over, he might not have been drafted. And if he'd been drafted, he might not have even seen battle. That was the timing of it. But in any case, my dad, um, my dad did that. He joined the Navy. He went to Naval School mm-hmm. in Michigan, mm-hmm. in Lake Michigan. And he really wanted to, he, he really wanted to be on a submarine. I don't know why. He really wanted to do that. That was a thing for him. But when they went to give him the the, the diving test, the pressure test, mm-hmm. he actually like <laughs> got really sick and passed out. Oops. Like bless his heart. Like that was like a big dream for him. And then he wrote letters home to his own dad talking about how he really wanted to do that. And then he just he got sick and like kook. Like passed out. So he couldn't be on a submarine. Bummer. I know. But he ended up on the USS Lutzi, which, you know, by all accounts in his letters, what you can read of his letters, he he enjoyed his time on the Lutzi. I mean, minus battle, obviously. But that's, yeah, that's what he did. What's interesting, just listening mm-hmm. to, you know, wondering why somebody would want to lie about their age and go in mm-hmm. early. My dad was on the flip-flop side for Vietnam, where... He had to go mm-hmm. and he electively went to officer's candidate school so that he would go in as an officer and went to deep sea diving school and went in as a salvage diver to Vietnam. Oh, wow. But he picked, he picked the Navy because 
Why did he pick the Navy? Why did your dad pick the Navy? Because they had their own rooms and the food was better. Like, that was his... That's not... <laughs> he was, Look. He was like Mr. Hey. Like, you're abroad in France, big jazz aficionado. Like, he loved to play golf. Like, he's like, I'm going into the Navy. <laughs> like, that was like his idea. It was like, when they had leave and stuff, they mm-hmm. would come into Hong Kong or whatever and, like, play golf. And <laughs> But that was Vietnam. But it was quite, Vietnam. It's a totally different. Quite different. It's a totally different thing. But you, hey, I, look if you can pick the if you can pick it. Yeah, you should pick it. Well, I mean, you know, you know it's like get drafted or. Yeah, get drafted or make some choices. Yeah. And my dad, my dad made choices. And so did your dad. How did he lie about his age? Though? He lied. Dude was born in 1925. I don't know. Like, he just, like... Oh, right. He watched and walked into the... Paper. Yeah. Walked into the recruiter's office and went, I am tall, young, strong man. Take me. My granddad... And they took him. My granddad had flat feet, which apparently was, like... Yeah. Real bad. That was a... Yeah. That was a no-go. And so he taught himself how to... Because my entire family is career military. All the way. Literally. All the Mm -hmm. way back. He taught himself how to walk on the sides of his on the sides of his feet, feet so that the the foot whatever it was that, the arch yeah that it would mm-hmm. it was like powder or something that they would make them or or some some way that they measured whether their arch was touching the floor or not oh yeah I think I people no want to serve you know I mean yeah it's a source of honor and pride mm-hmm. if you could I mean what do you th- how do you think you would answer how do I think well. You know, I have I have this this amazing scrapbook mm-hmm. which has all uh, or most of his letters mm-hmm. that he wrote home to his dad mm-hmm. during this whole time he was away. Mm-hmm. And from what I can gather, he really actually believed that there was a reason and there was a purpose that there was a greater good mm-hmm. that that there was a threat to well, and there really was. Like, I'm not trying to say there wasn't. I'm not trying to allude to something mm-hmm. because the reasons are very, very long as to why the world needs to, needed to step up and say, yo, Hitler, fuck off. <laughs> like, there were, like, very serious, legit reasons why that needed to happen. And and my father really felt like he was a part of this greater thing. Mm-hmm. And I can imagine being who I am and coming from that same small little town mm-hmm. that... You know, I've always felt like this isn't, you know, I'm not going to live in this little town forever. This is, you know, I'm I'm going to do something else. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm getting the hell out of here. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, I that had to be part of it, too. Mm-hmm. You know, because as much as you feel like, as much as you want to Captain America that shit and be like, I'm going to go fight for my country. There is also this, and get out of this little town, you know. 100%. I'm going to go fight for my country and I'm getting the hell out of Dodge. That's got to be there, too. You know, and don't you think that probably is a pretty big. Oh, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, because who knows what you're in for? I mean, I feel like exactly. I don't feel like anybody who went into anything like that knew how they would come out of it. Right. There's a lot of studies out there and a lot of everything out there. And, and, and the way that one person having a moderate level of PTSD can affect their own lives, mm-hmm. can affect their immediate family, mm-hmm. their extended family. Mm-hmm. An entire neighborhood or community 
can be affected because it's changed because one person has PTSD. You know, the entire course of history that this community, this family, this person is going to take is now rocked. Well, don't you think that also in like pre- previous generations where showing emotions might not have been all that right. cool, you know? So, I mean, when you describe him as being reserved, mm-hmm. I mean, I think also that's generational to a certain degree, but I think it's a coping, you know, may just have been like a cultural coping mechanism because maybe they yeah. weren't, weren't allowed or weren't, it wasn't a welcome Share how you're feeling. Right. It wasn't really a welcome. You know, know, they're supposed to show like stiff upper lip or whatever the. Right. And look, PTSD is not new. It was called shell shocked. It was called something else in World War One. Like this is not a new phenomenon. This happened to the Greeks and the Romans back in the day. Charlemagne's soldiers, they all suffered from it as well. This is not a new thing. It just has a name now. We can identify it. We can work with it. We can, we can, in some case, fix it. In some case, figure out how to live with it and, some, and make people, people's lives better, mm-hmm. right? So my point is, is that it's been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. And each generation figures out how to deal with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and up until recent history, it's not been a great, way of dealing with it. It's been like reserve it, hide it, sweep it under the carpet, or so-and-so is sick, Mm -hmm. quote unquote, sick. Mm -hmm. I heard that a lot as a little kid. Your dad's sick Mm -hmm. or grandpa is sick or somebody is sick. Mm -hmm. When the reality is they're struggling with a very severe and serious mental illness. Mm -hmm. And you shouldn't, like, I honestly, I don't think they should have hid that from me as a kid. I think, you know, well, yeah, I mean, there's some elements of it you you don't want your kid exposed to, but, and I probably am not as tough as I'm remembering I was, <laughs> but I don't think that the words PTSD or mental illness or depression or anxiety or any of those things, I don't think those are bad words. I don't think those are words you should hide from your kids. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can use euphemisms in a way to describe it and stuff like that, but I don't think hiding the words solves anything. Did they hide the words from you? Oh, yeah, they did. Everybody was sick. Oh, gosh. Everybody was, air quotes, sick. Okay, and then you know sick is like I have a cold. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Sick is I have a cold or I'm throwing up or whatever. But the time in my life I knew my dad, it was weird. Like it it was very, I had such a strange, strange childhood because... My dad actually, not long after I was born, checked himself into the mental ward of Jefferson Barracks Veterans Hospital in St. Louis. So that's where that's where dad lived. Mm-hmm. You know, that was dad's home. And on the weekends, we would go get him and bring him back to our little town and and be a family on Saturday and Sunday. Every Friday night, mom would pick me up from school. We would go pick up dad and would take him back there on Sunday evenings. Do you think he felt like he could be better cared for and or that you you guys could have a more quote-unquote normal life if he was there? Like, what do you think his reason, because if it's elective, you know, he, he chose right, to it. Right, it was himself. elective. Um, 
He actually said at one point that he did it because he knew he could not be the primary caregiver for me. Mm-hmm. Now, he had done okay as being dad to my brother. Mm-hmm. My brother was much older than me. Mm-hmm. And he had been, you know, he had been a decent dad. I mean, I can't speak to what my brother saw or heard, mm-hmm. but my dad, you know, had had several jobs at that time period. And, you know, my brother and I have talked in the past about growing him growing up versus me growing up. And I'm not going to go into that in this podcast because, you know, spoilers. <laughs> but my dad has said that he he could not be the, a primary caregiver for a small child at that stage of his life. Mm-hmm. He was he had severe migraines uh, off and on and he had pretty bad PTSD. And my mom had to work. He was granted disability, uh, so he could not work. And my mom had to work, so it was this weird situation. And, you know, it had to be uh, that that there was childcare, you know, um, because dad just, he couldn't do it. He could not be in charge of, of a small, you know, child, little child. And so that was, you know, the one of the main reasons he checked himself in. I actually, it didn't, it didn't occur to me that anything was wrong or abnormal. That's just how your family was. Yeah, that's just who we were. Sure. You know, for some kids, it might be divorced parents and, Mm -hmm. you know, the different weekend situation. Right. Type thing. I I had the whole weekend situation going on, but without the divorce. Right. You know. But now your grandfather, your grandparents. Paternal grandparents. Okay, is that. Yeah, my paternal grandparents actually died before I was born. Okay. So I didn't actually know them in person. So it's your mom's parents who, the your gran- grandfather, the guitar player. Yeah, my grandfather, the guitar player. It's my mom's, mom's dad. Okay. Mm-hmm. Even though on your dad's side, you have this right uncle. My uncle Bob. Yeah. It was great. Yeah. So yeah. you have music on both. Oh, yeah. Sides. I have music yeah. from both sides. Yeah. It's in my blood. And my dad... My dad was a great lover of music. When he was home, we would listen to records on the record player. We would listen to Debbie Boone. Yeah. Yeah. That's where the Debbie Boone thing comes from. <laughs> you light up my life. <laughs> he listened to Aerosmith with me. Really? Yeah, he did. But they were um, that infamous weekend when I was six. They were, and my mom and dad were actually at a Moose Lodge <laughs> function that day which is weird. I know. It, it's weird. But uh, he would listen, He taught me how to put records on my record player when I was really little. And he was a big fan of reading. He read to me when I was, when I was a baby. And I was actually reading a little bit when I was like three or four years old. I was actually already reading just because my dad read to me all the time. And because of the medications, my dad was a big napper. So napping with dad was like my favorite sport. Oh, that's yes. really sweet. Yeah. Yeah. I was, a, I, I was an all-star like gold medal. I was like, a, I could have been an Olympic gold medalist in napping with dad Aww. as a kid. It's like epic. And dad would even nap. Dad would sit in his chair in front of the TV and nap. 
And I would like go in the kitchen and get cereal and stuff. And then I would just climb on dad like he was just an extension of the chair. Yeah. <laughs> hop on pop. Yeah. Hop on pop. Yeah. Dad was just an extension of the, of the chair. And, if they, and he, wouldn't, he wouldn't wake up or anything because, you know, medication. And so <laughs> prescribed legal medication, mind you. I would just climb up on dad and watch TV and like, you know, climb down, go get some more cereal or go get my coloring book or whatever <laughs> and just climb back up on dad. Dad was, dad was just like, you know, he was like a booster seat on the chair. <laughs> it was great. A squishy human. He was like a chair. squishy. Yeah, it really was. It really mm-hmm. was. I don't know what that chair felt like because Dad always sat in it. That's cute. And I just climbed on Dad. But there was one time where I was in Head Start, and the little Head Start school bus came, mm-hmm. and my dad had fallen asleep, so he wasn't awake when the school bus came. But the bus was outside. I could see it out the window. It was honking. I like even climbed up onto my dad standing, like jumping up and down on his body, like, mm-hmm. hello, bus is here. And tried to wake him up and couldn't wake him up. And the bus left. And I was like, not going to school today. Not going to school today. And there was actually a piece of me that was like, just going to like get my shit and go. Like, all right, I'm going to go. But I actually was concerned. My dad's going to wake up and I'm going to be gone. He's going to freak out. And it's going to be a thing. Well, and this is why he elected. Yeah. To, I this mean, is part of the reason he elected to check himself in. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember why during his, I can't remember why he was home. Because he, I, I do remember that he, I don't know, it may have just been an extended visit or something. But, mm-hmm. you know, I'm just sitting on the floor watching TV. It's like, hey. And dad wakes up and he's like, why are you still here? Did the bus not come? And I was like, oh, yeah, I can. She's gone. You know, like, I'm watching Tom and Jerry, dad. Yeah. So my dad was like, that's school. That's important. That's holy shit. My dad couldn't drive. There's a car in the driveway, but my dad didn't have a driver's license. He wasn't allowed to have one. So he couldn't drive me. So we had to call a cab. And I remember just like protesting, like, this is a lot of trouble and school's half over. <laughs> it's like, no, you know, it's head start. Like, we're not going to do much. <laughs> I'm trying to negotiate with him, and he is, like, determined that my butt is going to Head Start. No, wait, what's Head Start? Head Start is, like, a pre-K, is, like, a pre-K program. Oh, my goodness. So, are you, like, yeah. four? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was, like, I was I was teeny tiny. Yeah. And, I mean, I liked going to Head Start and stuff. Like, it was fun, but, you know, cartoons, music, <laughs> like, way more important. And dad's there. And dad's there. Like, I had, like, the perfect, like. The couch was great. Nap time was coming. What the fuck? Why are you sending me to... Why are we getting a cab to go to Head Start? I think there's just too many hurdles to this effort, Dad. Can't you take a hint? So we got this cab. And I remember just like it was... I don't... It's like so clear to me. It's like very, very clear to me remembering getting... My dad sat in the front of the cab and they put me in the back of the cab. And I was like very much like, ooh, I'm in the back of the car. I'm driving Miss Daisy. <laughs> it was. Is I was like... I felt like very like I had to sit up straight and stuff and I was in the back of the car, you know, but I just remember being like, oh, wow, this is serious. Like, this is official. Like, oh, shit. Had you been in a taxi before? No. No. That's huh? exciting. Yeah. And I barely rode in the back of cars as it was because, you know, shotgun. I learned shotgun really early. Nowadays, you'd have to be in a car seat. Yeah, I'd have to be. Oh, yeah. Oh, car. Oh, 
I have baby pictures of me where I'm a, a little baby and the person is in the front seat of the car holding me in their lap with my head facing the front window. <laughs> and my head is facing the windshield. They're just holding me, cradling me in their lap. They're not wearing a seatbelt, and the driver is taking the photo <laughs> while driving. <laughs> while driving with some old timey like box. It's not like even like a click phone camera. It's like, put the slide in there. It's like a great fucking picture, and I'm just like smiling. I'm just it's a like medium form. I'm just like, flex. <laughs> just like all like a little baby smiling, like and it's just so hilarious. And I'm like, mom the hell you know there was no mm -mm, i never sat in the back seat i always climbed in the front because i was a little monster you know as soon as i learned what shotgun was i was in the front with no seat belt just you know clamoring around but anyway so i'm in the back of the cab and my dad's in the front seat and they're just taking me to head start i don't remember any conversation they had or anything i just remember being like oh shit it's like official and like and I remember, I remember thinking dad was in trouble. Mm. And so uh, by the time we got to Head Start, I was just like putting on like, okay, I don't want dad to get in trouble because I miss the boss. I don't want dad to be in trouble. Mm. So I was very much like burst in, I like jumped out of the car and like burst into the Head Start room. Like, <laughs> you know, just like, oh, distract everyone from the fact that I'm late by making my presence very well known. <laughs> tap dance, tap dance. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, woo. Dude, yeah, jazz hands, you know, and I just remember going into my day and then I remember I like climbed up on some gymnasium thing in the Head Start and uh, I remember looking out the window and seeing my dad standing there and they sent the cab away and he walked home. Why? We couldn't actually have afforded that cab. Oh. The cab driver had actually done my dad a favor oh. by coming to the house and taking us to Head Start. And dad didn't want to owe him any more of a favor. So my dad actually walked home at that point. Did you, when did you register that? It wasn't until my mom actually told me about it when I was in college, I think. So these, yeah. these moments of, you know, losing him before you actually lost him. You're not really registering that at the time. No. But uh -uh. you can reflect on it mm -hmm. now. Yeah. And yeah. and what my therapist was talking about there was talking about like when, when my dad would be like engaged with me for a few minutes and then he would just like say fall asleep. Mm -hmm. And then I would nudgel him back, mm -hmm. you know, or when he would like drift off because there were there were times when my dad would drift off in like a daze. Mm-hmm. And, and I would get in his face. Mm -hmm. Hey, dad, <laughs> you know, right. Cartoons now <laughs> on that's, I didn't know any other way to do it, but that's how I would like get his attention and like bring him back from that days. Yeah. And I had a uh, lots of adults around me going, shh, 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 stay quiet. Your dad's sleeping or, you know, he's got a headache or whatever. And I was like, bullshit. Fuck this shit. <laughs> hey, dad. <laughs> Let's play my game. Bugs Bunny's on. That was that was my shtick. Mm. Was to get right in his face. Just right nose to nose. Just be like, hey dad. And my therapist was like, I think you maybe you've you might, you know, end up as an adult feeling a little guilty about that a little bit of aloofness 
you felt as a kid at the funeral because in your mind, your dad came and went all the time mm-hmm. in your presence. Sometimes when he was your caregiver, very young, and you you worked around it. You 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 just built your life around this is what you know, this is what my life is. Nobody was telling me it wasn't normal or not acceptable or anything. I just built my life around this weirdness. But you I mean, did you accept it as your dad was a good dad because he was trying? Like, did you yeah. know that even as a little kid? I don't think I did. I don't think I I don't I didn't even understand that every other kid didn't go through this stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I don't think I under I don't think I really even registered that. But you didn't feel sorry for yourself. Oh like, no, absolutely no! This is like not. part of your your jam. That was my yeah. That was my gig. Like that was my thing. Yeah. Just to get you know. Oh, I need I need dad to actually pay attention. All right, dad. Up in your face. Right up, you know. Press my nose right up against your face and just you know yell really loud. And you know that was that's how you did it. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's how I did it. And contrary to popular belief, nobody else in the family could do it. Or they may not have even tried to do it. They may have just been like, oh, shush, Mm -hmm. you know, your dad's sleeping or whatever. Mm -hmm. They may not have tried, but Mm -hmm. I could get him back. (laughs) He was always like, hey, that's my that's my baby. Mm -hmm. You know, that's my baby girl. What does she need? What does she need my attention for? Oh, what what's going on? Sounds like a very patient man. Yeah, (laughs) I would say a very, very patient man, very patient man. But yeah, so that's, you know, that that kind of stuck with me and that resilience of kids Mm -hmm. as a kid. You just sort of like if nobody tells you it's weird or it's wrong, Mm -hmm. nobody tells you you're poor. You don't necessarily know you're poor. If nobody tells you your life is weird or something like that, you don't necessarily know it is. Mm -hmm. You can get into a routine, good or bad. Like our routine wasn't necessarily bad. There are bad routines. You know, kids that are getting abused, they don't know what what real love is. They don't understand what a real parent-child relationship is. They can get stuck in it and think that that's normal. Mm. I thought what I had was normal. It wasn't as negative as those situations, but I thought I was normal until, you know, I started to actually like get into like middle school and high school and be like, oh shit, my family was fucked up. Like, how did you guys get your sleeping dad to wake up? Yeah, exactly. Like, (laughs) doesn't everybody's dad have PTSD and take lots of, like, painkillers and shit? Like, that's not a thing? (laughs) Crap. (laughs) Oh. Oh, wait. All of you have dads. (laughs) All of your dads are alive? Oh, shit. (laughs) Okay. Like, oh, wait. None of you spent weekends, like, hanging, like, spent Friday afternoons hanging out in the mental ward? Well, how did you know who Jesus was? Wait, what? Hey, none of you have met Jesus? I've met three, okay? That's a true, legit story. They all lived at the... They were lived at the mental ward with my dad. All three Jesus. All three guys. Jesus. All three Jesus. Yes. Didn't think of that before. Three Jesuses at the VA mental ward that I knew of. There could be more. I actually think there were a few more. Don't you think, though, that that may have altered your perception of religion, say? It's one of the reasons I'm a very odd person. I'm a weirdo. Let's face facts. I'm a weirdo. I don't think you're odd at all. I think you're an independent thinker. And I think that's a very admirable quality to have and a way to be. Well, I have a a great story about um, my mom and and, uh, Jesus's. 
and things. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> this is a good one. This is, oh, this is going to be for the controversial file. Okay. <laughs> yeah. We were at the VA and we were having dinner in the cafeteria, having a little snack or something. In the cafeteria at the VA, it was all very, I remember it was all very brown because it was the 70s. You remember how you'd walk into a restaurant and everything was brown? In a, like Cantor's? I was in Hong Kong. Oh, you were in Hong Kong. But it was like Cantor's. Everything sort of was brown. Yeah. That wood tone. Yes. Yeah. It was yeah. really this. It was like Cantor's. Yeah. Don't sue me, Cantor's. I love you. It's just the what style the, is. The style. It was there. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it was the 70s and, and I'm a little kid and we go to the cafeteria and we're sitting there and we're having this little meal with our trays and stuff. And over at a, a table, just, you know just right next to us is three guys and they're in the, they're in their uh, hospital pajama things with robes. Mm -hmm. Um, They're obviously patients. Mm -hmm. My dad was wearing the same thing. This was common to me. I didn't think anything weird about seeing, you know, grown men running around in pajamas and slippers and robes Mm -hmm. at the hospital, like normal. normal. It was normal to me. And um, they were talking about which one of them was really Jesus. This is an actual conversation they were having at this table. Did they have beards and stuff? or uh, One of them didn't. And you're like, imposter! <laughs> I wish I had been self-aware enough to do that. <laughs> but I didn't. Because my mom was at the table. Mm. And, and mom being at the table changed my behavior. Because I was very much like, mom was very much like, you know... I think in her own way, she was trying to protect me from the obvious weirdnesses in my life. I think she tried to protect me from like seeing certain things or doing certain things or, you know, definitely tried to keep me from hearing certain things. Like when they would have meetings with the with the, the doctors, she would like leave me with crayons and a Walkman out in the hallway. Mm-hmm. La 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 But you know, and and I have I have great stories about that because I made a lot of great friends out in the hallway. Jesus, I made friends with everybody I ran into. Everybody was like my best buddy because I I didn't know. But mom was at the table, so you know, you eat, you stay quiet. We're at the hospital. We have to be on our best behavior. All this kind of stuff. You know, you can't be like running around. You can't be like making trouble. You know, this is serious here. So I had to be like serious and and, like sit there and like just eat my food and look straight ahead. And yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, this kind of thing. And it's not necessarily a bad thing for a kid to to like have that ability to like rein themselves in in certain situations. But I was really, really seriously paying attention to this conversation going on. You know, one guy was like, no, Jesus was black. I'm black. I'm the real Jesus. You know, they were all they were arguing about this. And this guy was like, you know, no, I'm I'm really Jesus because of such and such reason. And the other one was like, no, I'm Jesus. Y'all are crazy. I'm really Jesus. I shouldn't even be in this place. And they're not getting animated. They're not fighting with each other. They're just like having a very poignant conversation. It just happens to be about the fact that one of them is really Jesus and the other two are imposters. <laughs> it's insane. And I start laughing. So I start laughing at this and my mom 
slams her hand down on the table. And she's like, those men have a serious problem. And it is not funny, young lady. It is not funny at all. Do not laugh. Yeah, I know. That was kind of the look on my face, too. Like, geez, mom, you're so serious. And so my dad is sitting across from me, and mom, like, takes the trays to go throw them away. And my dad, he comes in really close, and he holds my little hand on the table. He goes, your mom's right. He was loud about it, but she's right. It was a very serious condition and everything. But the conversation they were having is actually really funny. (laughs) And he started laughing, and then I laughed. And it was okay to laugh that, like, there was comedy happening over there. There was genuine comedy happening. Even though these are guys who have a very serious condition, it was a really funny conversation. How old are you? I was like five. Wow. And I had just started laughing because it all sounded funny. It was all just funny that anybody would say they were Jesus or whatever. You know, and 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 none of those, like I said, nobody's angry. Nobody was starting to fight over the next table. They were actually, they were having like... It was like you were watching the Big Bang Theory and they were talking about which, you know, Star Trek captain was the best. Like, no, this one was the best. No, this one. That's the kind of conversation they were having. I'm Jesus because of this. No, I'm Jesus because of this reason. And I just found the whole thing very funny. And so did my dad. And my mom, on the other hand, just saw it was a, a, you know, all she saw it was an extension of all the things wrong with them. And all she could feel in that moment was a serious sadness. But my dad was processing it and he was helping me to process it. Like, you could scare me. You could scare me into being afraid of those men or you could scare me and like scare me of the whole situation, mm-hmm. which was could have been the end result of my mom's reaction to it. Mm-hmm. I don't think her intent was to scare me. I think her intent was just acting out of her own fears and 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 judgment mm-hmm. of the whole thing. But it could have scared me. It could have, you know, like freaked me out. But instead, my dad turned it totally into this, like, life has hilarious moments. Even when you are in a serious thing, even when serious things are happening, there can be a moment of brevity. Something funny can happen. There can be comedy in chaos. And I think that's helped me a lot in my life. Mm Thank you for listening to the Red Dragon Sessions. 